that is a little tree planted on a little hill and on that tree hangs the most influential character that ever came in this world never feel that that tree is a meaningless drama that took place on the stages of history oh no it is a telescope through which we look out into the long vista of eternity see the love of god breaking forth into time it is an eternal reminder to a power drunk generation that love is on the way it is an eternal reminder to a generation depending on nuclear and atomic energy a generation depending on physical violence that love is the only creative redemptive transforming power in the universe so this morning as i look into your eyes and into the eyes of all my brothers in alabama and all over america and over the world i say to you i love you i would rather die than hate you and i'm foolish enough to believe that through the power of this love somewhere men of the most recalcitrant will be transformed then we will be in god's kingdom we will be able to matriculate into the university of eternal life because we have the power to love our enemies to bless those persons of curses to even decide to be good to those persons who hated us we even pray for those persons who despitefully used us oh god help us in our lives and in all of our attitudes to work out this controlling force to love and this controlling power that can solve every problem that we confront in all areas. Let us join together in a great fellowship of love and bow down to the feet of Jesus. Give us this strong determination in the name and spirit of this Christ we pray. passage that um, Dr. Martin Luther King was referencing in that invocation is what we're going to look at today. Um, but before we get there, I, I want to give a little, I want to set it up a little bit, give a, a different way to maybe look at, at, at a very familiar part of the scriptures. I'll say this going in, I would much rather teach us scripture than to have to live one out. Like, this has been one of those weeks where not been a great week for me. Like, on all kinds of very deep personal levels, really connected to the very heart of nonviolence that we're going to talk about. But then even in just some weird, like, random ways, and it's, it's my birthday. Doesn't Jesus know it's my birthday this week? Like, don't you get a break, like the week of your birthday? And I was, and this is gonna sound very grandiose, I was at the hospital doing good pastoral work, and, um, and I, I was hungry, so I went to the cafeteria, and, and I took my tray, and this is the absolute exact way this played out. I took my tray, and I, I set it, and the, and the lady, she does, they never say anything, they just look, and she types in, and then she looked me in the eyes, and then she typed again, and on the screen it said, senior discount. <laughs> We're gonna talk about enemies today. 
And you wonder who is an enemy. An enemy is anybody who I don't like. And a hospital lunch lady, I don't like you. I'm going to say a couple of sentences that might set you off, but just relax. It'll be okay. The Bible is a book of law. The Bible as a book of law. The Bible, when seen as a book of law, is pretty much worthless. In fact, I'm not sure there are actually any laws in the Bible. As you and I understand the word law. I want you to imagine this word, ice cream. What do you think of? What was your picture? What'd you think of? I thought of ice cream. <laughs> wow, Peter, way to go out on a limb there. <laughs> I thought you might say Jesus, but anyhow. Um, How many of you thought of vanilla ice cream? Okay. How many of you, vanilla is your favorite ice cream? How many of you thought of a cone? How many of you thought of a dish? How many of you thought of a Ben and Jerry's? How many of you had hot fudge on your vanilla? How many of you thought of chocolate? We could go on and on and on. Here's what's interesting. I just said one word. We all assumed, I know what ice cream is. I said, do you know what ice cream is? I know what ice cream is. I could argue about ice cream. I'm absolutely certain I know what ice cream is. But in every person's imagination, no two people had exactly, even those who had vanilla. Some people had it on a cone. Some people had a dish. Some people had a little bit. Some people had my serving. Everybody had a little different version of it. And the Bible is always trying to tell an impossible story. If we begin understanding that the, it's an impossible story to tell. And all it has is words. That's all it can use is words. And when I say the word law... You believe you fully understand what that means, and I think sometimes our imagination and even our own sort of bent interprets the word in a way that isn't always how it was intended. I'll give you a couple of examples. You see, when, when you begin to see the Bible, or you see, quote, the laws, as very small and rigid, very... Um, manageable, often you have missed the idea. But when you see the law as a principle, as a value, an immutable value, an immutable principle, I'm not arguing that piece. But when you see it as a principle, it can lead you to life. If you see it simply as a rigid set, often it will lead to death. I'll give you a couple of examples before we kind of get into what I want to talk about today. But for instance, if I were to ask you, what is the law, what are the rules about sex? What does the Bible say about that? Well, you would say, well, that's, that's easy. 
no sex until you're married. Pretty, I'm guessing, pretty universal agreement on that here, right? So then I would ask you, what is marriage in the Bible? Like in the Bible, if that's true, and I agree, I think that's true. I think that's absolutely true. But here's the problem. We believe that it's so simple, and I, I, I know exactly how to apply it to every person. And then what I would say, well, where in the Bible do people get married? Well, we got, we got this dad who sends his servant and goes and almost, almost kidnaps a poor girl. And then we got a guy who works for seven years, whoops, wrong one, he works for another seven years, gets that one, and then, and then we've got in the New Testament, where Paul's talking a lot about stay married, and those people got married in pagan weird ceremonies. The principle that, 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 that two become one is immutable. That within the, the, within the, the context of that commitment and, and that sacred space, sex can flourish. And how many of us have a story that outside of that, we suffer deep wounds? unnecessary pain because it's, it's, it's not about following a rule. There, is there something a bigger? There's a bigger story about it. If I were to say to you, what, is the, what, are the, what does the Bible say about dirty words, cussing? Well, that ain't, that's bad. Don't do that. I, I'll tell you, I, I, I've been with People and I've had in my own life when trying to put a word to the most horrific experience. Sometimes only one really bad word works. And in my opinion, it's not, a, it's not filthy language in that moment. Now, I, I, our world is filled with coarse language. But sometimes it, it takes the weight of the worst word to express the deepest, deepest pain. I've seen, I've seen people liberated as they expressed almost prayerfully that word. What I'm saying is, if you believe, if you believe it's, it's a, a simple little box that you can check off, you will be left with the consequence of the law, which is either I never can get it right or I am self-righteous. I do, I get it, I got it. I'm, I'm living it out or I'll never get it and both are death. And Jesus wants to set us free. I say all of that because I believe this little passage has often been interpreted in a law kind of way. And it has led to death. In the Luke version of this passage, I'm gonna read for you. It's under the title in many of your Bibles called Love for Enemies. And it begins like this. But to you who are willing to listen, you can remember other times where you've heard Jesus say, for those who have ears to hear. I, I'll pause just one quick second. 
that, that's not a throwaway sentence. That speaks to the, to the deepest issue of, of faith. And I, I can say in my own experience this week, I have I've kept stumbling on that. And the truth is, I don't want to hear what you have to say about this, Jesus. I want, I want to be right. I want to win. I want my enemy to lose. I want to feel good. I want them to feel bad. And I got a hunch, Jesus, that you're, that's not what you're going to tell me. I got a hunch you're not going to go, yeah, Carl, that's awesome. I'm all about that. I have wrestled with, do I really want to hear Jesus' words about loving my enemy? But let's be brave. But to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who hurt you. We could stop on any one of those. Jesus, is, Jesus I, I called it the Jesus mic drop. It says, Jesus says, love your enemies. Boom. <laughs> All right, homies, let's see you do that. Like, like, like it's like, like Jesus is just going, yeah, watch them. They're never going to get that right. So how could I do this, Jesus? And he, he, he's just giving some examples, it seems to me. You, you could do good for them that hate you. You can bless those who curse you. You can pray for those who hurt you. But here's the one that has found its way into our language today. This little sentence. If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. Let me finish and I'll come back to it. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks. And when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do unto others as you would like them to do to you. I want to spend, I guess, I guess I want to spend a little extra time on this one little sentence. If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek. And the reason I feel passionate about it is because when that has been come, when that has been made into a law, it has led to the actual and physical death of some of our sisters. You see, that very verse has been used to tell women who are in abusive relationships, well, he only hit you once. I'm going to tell you right now, this, I'm, I don't even think this is much of a limb. I'll tell you right now, this verse has nothing to do with physical violence. The primary way this verse often gets sort of talked about or attached is related to physical violence. It has nothing to do with physical violence. I'm not, if, if that becomes your application down the road, that's fine. But if that's the place you're starting, that, that God is somehow making a law, and here then is the law. Somebody then has to hit you twice, and then you can do something about it. Like, that's just weird. If you think somebody's going to hit you, run. You're no less Christian if you think somebody's going to punch you to not stand there and take a punch. And for heaven's sakes, if they punch you, I don't think I would let them punch you twice. There's just this weird, and I'm very serious about the, the physical, sexual abuse of people. This verse sometimes gets used because people see it as law. 
You gotta get slugged twice before you can do anything about it. Most likely. Again, it's hard. We're gonna have to, we're gonna scooch back 2,000 years. And it's not quite as complicated. If I wanted you out of my life, if I were going to shut the door to you in relationship, I would slap you. It was somewhat symbolic. Often, if, if you had some great offense, some believe it might even have to do with later on as people became Christians and they were excommunicated from local synagogue, they would be slapped. It was the way the community or a person or an individual said, I want no relationship with you. You are identified to me as an enemy. I want to share a couple of stories of being slapped and slapping. I am, um, th there are parts of this story that are gonna be complicating. For some of you, they will create noise and it's a little risky, but I'm, I'm hoping we can look beyond some of the particulars. And remember, I'm just trying, I'm trying to help us grasp a bigger, something bigger. So hang with me, okay? I also wanna be careful because we're talking about real people, not abstractions. And in this room, there are people whose, whose own personal story will be intertwined in some of the details of my story. And I am in no way want to make life harder for you or more complicated. But this is my real story. Several years ago, a couple of my friends who are lesbian wanted to get married. And just as a side note, I'm, I, I'm, I don't have, I'm, not, I'm not here to persuade or talk anything about politics, I, but my own, personal, my own personal belief is I think my adult friends should get to do what they wanna do and they should have rights and you may see it differently, that's okay. I'm just, that's, that's how, that, and they knew that piece about me. Often, for many years when people would ask me what's my position on same-sex marriage, I would not answer. And the reason I wouldn't answer, I say, because what's happening is everybody wants to know what team I'm on. Nobody's, I had never been asked the question, quite frankly, I'd never been asked the question because somebody wanted to sit and, and study the scriptures with me and, and, and discuss it and, and, and see what kind of conclusions we could come to. It was always just, whose team are you on? And I'm just tired of being on a team. And it's a big topic, I get that. And my friends that I, I love, Long and short, we, we came to see a part of the scriptures differently. And while I loved them and I supported their right and, the, and their own autonomy to make their own decisions, I personally could not, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do that. And that was painful. There were 
so many repercussions to it and it was just really painful. And then my friends, my friends said to me, um, we don't want you to come to our wedding. And I felt, I felt slapped. I was embarrassed. All my friends are gonna be there. My friend that I co-pastor with is gonna perform the ceremony. I felt like I got slapped. And then they said, but you'd be welcome to come to the reception. One of the hardest experiences I've had in 30 something years of doing this kind of stuff was to, the service happened in the main sanctuary of a, of a local church and the reception was just gonna be in the overflow. The, but the doors were closed and I, I was sitting in the reception, everything was set up all by myself and I could see through the window the wedding happening. And I was scared and I did not wanna be there. I did not wanna be there. But I was trying to live out turning the other cheek. At its root, what it means is even though you've been deeply wounded and hurt and even it feels like somebody's communicated they do not wanna be in a relationship with you, are you willing? Are you willing to try to stay in relationship with them? You know what's really fascinating about this story and in some ways the gospel is I've only told you it from my side, right? But what about from my friend's side? Regardless of where we are on that theological sort of stance, but from their side, the, the biggest moment in their life and one of the people that they love said they wouldn't participate. And I believe they felt like I slapped them. And then they turned the other cheek and they invited me to the reception. Both of us in the same moment feeling slapped and both wanting to turn the other cheek and say, but I wanna be open to relationship as best I can. You know what's really weird? I told you how God, it's just weird how sometimes within the week of a message, you begin to live the drama. And I haven't talked to my friends for, it's been months, months and months. And yesterday on my way to Evergreen, I got a message. We would love for you to come over and watch the Super Bowl with us this afternoon. Random. People often will ask, do you believe in hell? If you've ever hated anybody, you believe in hell. If you've ever shut your heart to the possibility of a redemptive relationship, 
Peter mentioned what happened 22 years ago. That was really a painful moment in my life. Like I thought I was in, <laughs> just being arrogant. <laughs> like I thought I, they're gonna hire me. I was looking at houses <laughs> and then they picked Aram. Man, 10 years ago, my life, 11 years ago, my life was going pretty good. I was, um, I was doing a, quite a bit more speaking at that time and doing a little traveling with that. And um, I, was, I was actually pretty happy. I, I, I had discovered that I don't think I'm very good at being in a church. And um, so I kind of let that piece of my life go. And I just liked the itinerant thing, actually. It was working out really well. And, um, and I got a call, a random call out of the blue. This really almost had never, I don't think this has ever happened in my life where somebody just pursued me and said, hey, and this, this person who called me went to a church, uh, maybe you've heard of it, it's called Lookout Mountain. Um, and they introduced themselves and they, were, they said that they were a, this isn't the word they used, but they're, they're, they're a headhunter. They, they were a person who helped churches find pastors. And he said, I was talking to Peter and I told him I'm looking for a, a pastor for this really big church that just lost their pastor and we're, they're, needing a, they're needing a good preacher. That's what he said. And he asked Peter if he knew of anybody and Peter said, yeah, you need to call my friend Carl. And um, so that, that's how that phone call went. All right, so they called me. And, my, and again, I'm happy. So they call me and I say, listen, I'm not looking for a job. I'm actually pretty happy and I'll be really honest with you. I don't know that I'm actually hireable by churches. Like I got weird ideas. I'll own that. I really have some weird ideas about churches and maybe it's better I don't do that. And they pursued and they said, why don't you just come preach? And this is, I mean, this was a big church. Like, I've, and I've been in some big venues, but this was a big church and four services. And we're talking big enough to have like fog machine kind of big church. You know what I mean? And I'll be honest. So I went and preached, and this is just the honest truth. I was amazing. Like, like I was, I preached way better than I can preach. Like that was not me. Like it was so good. And like, I was embarrassed how good it went, you know? And it's like, oh wow. And they went, and then they, they went crazy. And, and I mean, like after the first service, they are on trying to hire me. On the honest truth. And so I got hired at this great big church and, and I am having so much fun. Like they, they hired me knowing all my weird stuff. And I think, and, and I'm, I, I made some amazing friends. That's where I met my friend, Kathy. And I'm really enjoying it. And then about eight months into it, long and short, they hired another, who originally when they had hired me, they said they would hire a co-pastor. And they ended up hiring, moving me to a teaching, making me, you know, making me the teaching pastor and then hiring a senior pastor. And, um, uh, he didn't fire me, but he was going to fire me. He just, you know, we just didn't connect. He didn't like me. And I was out. Like that, I was out. You know, I, you know, I co-pastored the refuge. The refuge is one of the few churches that is planted out of a dream from Jesus and a deep sense of revenge. <laughs> like I'm going, oh, I will show you. Like, 
Are there any kids in here? It's like the ecclesiastical double finger. Like, I can't, I, I know it's terrible, but like inside, I am so pissed. And the only thing I know is to plant competition. Like, I am obsessed. I begin writing, I begin writing stuff about mega churches, and none of it is favorable. Like, I didn't say one nice word about it. Like, they're just about money and fog machines, and they're all about attractional. They'll do anything to get, I mean, I was just vicious. Well, why would Jesus tell me to turn the other cheek? You see, for a long time, I have interpreted lots of the Bible as God as the embarrassed parent. Much like how I started parenting when I was 20. And, I, and the only thing I knew about parenting was little snippets I'd gotten from Dr. Dobson. Nothing about Dr. Dobson, but the pieces I picked up was all about control. Like, and I wanted to be, I wanted to be the, you know, the uh, focus on the family of the year kind of a per dad. And, and all I could do was control my kids. And when my kids threw a tantrum at the grocery store, it was horrifying to me. Not because kids don't throw tantrums at grocery, because they embarrassed me. And I don't like my kids embarrassing me. They reflect, and I thought that's how God parented. I thought that's why God says these things. Don't be embarrassing me. Turn the other cheek. Then I became a grandparent. I don't care. My, my precious little Frankie has thrown lots of tan. I took her, I told you the story where I took her into the dollar store. Anybody can get a kid into a dollar store. The trick is you can't get them out. That is like a, another metaphor for hell. You can get in, but you can't get out. There's no, I don't know how to get them out. And so I am carrying underneath a kicking and screaming child. And the difference is I'm going, yeah, I don't know. Her parents are raising her terrible, I guess. <laughs> like I could care less. I really could care less. I don't care. I just love her so much. Nothing to do with me. She doesn't reflect on me. All I care about is her. Like, do you think, do you think for one second Flatirons ever thought about me? Oh my gosh, Carl doesn't like us. What are we going to do? Oh, Carl's mad. Oh my gosh, we're going to have to do something. Oh, we're so worried about him. He doesn't like us. He's refl Oh my gosh, they never once thought about me. The point is Jesus doesn't want me to get stuck in hell. I was the one eaten up. I was the one who was trapped in hate and anger. I don't know when but a few years ago, I was able to turn the other cheek. Just in my heart. No, no, they have not called me and said, please come back. Nothing like that. And there are, I, I have differences. I would do things differently than they might see things. But these are my brothers and sisters doing the best they can. They're trying. And I'm no longer stuck in the hell 
of my animosity. To turn the other cheek is really not primarily for the other person. It's primarily for me. It is the generosity of Jesus, the wisdom of Jesus, when he says, love your enemies. Why, because he's embarrassed if we don't? No, because he loves us. He doesn't want us stuck. That's the gospel. The last little sentence in there. And there's other, there's other parts. I don't know how we're doing on time. There, there's other parts in the, in the text, both here and in Matthew. Matthew also talks about this, where there's some very specific cultural experiences that, that he's helping us unwind from. The other one is, is, has to do with a court scene, a court scene where somebody basically wins your coat. And in the Matthew passage, it, he kind of reverses it, but in the, in the Matthew, they, they win your, your coat. You kind of get the idea that they've, they've brought some false accusations, that, that somehow, how did, how, did they, how did they get my coat? But I'm walking out and I don't have a coat. And he says, give them your shirt also, so that you won't be trapped. Lend to those who ask. 2,000 years ago, again, we have a different image of what it means to lend. Why would somebody be asking to borrow 2,000 years ago? Most often, it was because they were starving to death. It wasn't so they could get a flat screen. It wasn't about consumerism. It was because they were absolutely starving to death. Can you imagine how good it might feel if somebody that you had embarrassed you and said they don't want you in their life anymore, hated you, was starving? Jesus doesn't want you to live on that energy. And then if you lent to somebody who was starving and they couldn't repay you, what happened? You could throw them into what they called the debtor's prison. Ooh, how good would that feel? And he says, don't, don't do that. Let it go. At the end of the Luke passage, he says it this way, do to others as you would like them to do to you. You, you. you can intuit your way out of this, but it's hard. I'll, let me say one cautionary thing. A, a lot about faith is simply the willingness to hear. You may not in this moment be in, in the existential touch with the feeling of not wanting to hate the person who's hurt you and embarrassed you and doesn't want you in their life. You may physically not be able to, to be in relationship with them because of danger. I understand that. And I would, I would caution, be gentle on yourself, but be willing, but begin to be willing to do unto others what, in fact, you would like for them. Let me give one brief little application. I don't like politics much. It's complicated. I'll just say this. I'll own this kind of statement. I think politics and Facebook are not necessarily a bad marriage. I think it's absolutely okay, in my opinion, for you 
to talk about the ideas and policies that you like. I think it's perfectly fine to say, I like this candidate because of these ideas. I don't like this candidate because of these ideas. I think that's perfectly legitimate. But how would you feel if millions of people made fun of your hair? How would you feel if millions of Christians, because you didn't know how to say 2 Corinthians and called it 2 Corinthians, made fun of you and believed that they could intuit your intention based on that? How would you feel if your husband's infidelity was blamed on you? Do unto others as you would want them to do to you so that you can be free. And in the process, something miraculous sometimes does happen. My full name is Jack Leroy Tuller. This is two weeks after D-Day. It was dark, raining, muddy, and I'm stressed. So I get my trumpet out, and the commander says, Jack, don't play tonight because there's one sniper left. I thought to myself, that German sniper is as scared and lonely as I am. So I thought, I'll play his love song. Dun, dun, dee, 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 next morning, here came a jeep up from the beach about a mile and a half away. And the military police says, hey, Captain, there's some German prisoners getting ready to go to England. One of them keeps saying in broken English, who played that trumpet last night? And he burst into sobs. He said, when I heard that number that you played, I thought about my fiance in Germany. I thought about my mother and dad, and about my brothers and sisters, and I couldn't fire. And he stuck out his hand, and I shook the hand of the enemy. He was no enemy, he was scared and lonely like me. The power of music. Intertwined into the story of the gospel is something about extending relationship to those who are enemies. 
I like how it's described in Romans. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, in a moment I'll pour the wine and the juice. Jesus said, this is my blood which is shed for you. By the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because of our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends with God. And on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. This is in, in, in our story. That's the, that's the turning of Jesus cheek, right? We can own our own condemnation. I don't have to convince you of your sin. What's hard to convince you of is that Jesus wants to be your friend. And this is his proof. This is my body which is broken for you and this is my blood which is shed for you. The dark cup is the wine The light cup is the juice. You may be, maybe this is your first time. You may be a guest. I want you to know that there's, there's, there's nobody going to guard the table. You don't have to have ever been to the sanctuary before. Did I do that right? Yeah, I did. Sorry, just making sure. That was a very, very beautiful moment there, putting my nose in your cup. Um, but you're invited, that, that idea of being invited. If, if you're, you're sitting here, and I've had that moment, I, I can't take communion. That's the time you gotta take communion. You're, I'm not worthy, that's the time you're worthy. That's the most worthy you can ever be, if we're gonna use that word. It's when you feel like, I, I shouldn't be doing it. He's turning his cheek. He wants relationship with you.